Over here at Developer Voices, we're very interested in the future of software. Where are we trying to get to as an industry? What do we think tomorrow will look like? What do we think it should look like? But that doesn't just mean looking at the new and shiny stuff. At least it shouldn't. It also means taking a look at tools that have been with us for a while and asking how they're evolving, how they are moving us forwards. Which leads me to wonder about one of my favorite and staple databases, Postgres. It's been an exceptionally high-quality, free, relational database for decades now. And it could rest on its laurels. It's definitely earned it. But it hasn't been. So what's new? Joining me to answer that question is Ralph Shebri. He works at Neon, which is a Postgres-as-a-service platform. And we catch up a bit on the state of Postgres and what's new. And then we have a look at how Neon are trying to move the state of the art forward. They've been diving into the guts of Postgres, adding a bit of custom Rust code, doing some architectural tricks that will be familiar if you know how Kafka works. And they've ended up with a version of Postgres that starts to look a little bit like Git. Uh, The promise of a database that you can easily and cheaply feature branch. Things like that. How can you have multiple versions of the same source database doing different tasks? It's interesting. It really caught my attention when I tried it out last month. So I thought we'd bring Ralph in for the what, why and how of what they've been doing. So I'm your host, Chris Jenkins. This is Developer Voices. And today's voice is Ralph Shepry. My guest today is Ralph Shebri. Ralph, how are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks. Uh, Thanks for having me, Chris. Absolute pleasure. You're coming to us live from Switzerland, I believe. Yes, from beautiful Geneva. Oh, very nice. I've only been there a couple of times, but it is beautiful. Yes. Yeah. So I've brought you in because you are one of, on on my grapevine, one of my resident Postgres experts. And you work for Neon. They've been doing some really interesting stuff with Postgres. We're going to get into that. Mm-hmm. But I have a confession. I haven't re- Having loved Postgres in the past, I haven't had much excuse to use it for a couple of years. So catch me up. What have I missed? What's new? Um, well, uh, Postgres uh, just has been this open source database, relational database for decades. And now it's in version 15. And I think... Um, one of the reasons that you should pay attention to Postgres and the evolution of Postgres is, well, first of all, it's really the uh, the only true open source uh, database. It's not owned by anybody. It's really owned by the community and very active community of uh, contributor uh, con- contributors who are always striving to making it uh, better, uh, improve performance, adding more features. And I think um, what what's interesting about Postgres is the growth of the community. Uh, so according to the Stack Overflow survey, uh, Postgres is the most wanted uh, database among professional developers. Um, and I think also according to DB Engine, uh, among the top, top five databases, Postgres is the only one that is growing. As oh, opposed really? to, yeah, if like if you take MySQL, um, SQL Server, Oracle, or uh, even MongoDB, they're all declining, but Postgres is growing. And I think it's, um, and I think it's really because of its ecosystem. And 
what I mean by ecosystem, um, there are two things I mean by that. Uh, first of all is the ecosystem of extension. So Postgres is very versatile. It's not just a relational database, but it has all these extensions that uh, give it superpowers. For example, we have PostGIS that uh, allows you to do uh, you know, a geolocation and you have a time scale that helps you to do time series. Or now the hot topic is AI. We have PG Vector, which allows you to do a similarity analysis among vectors, which oh. is uh, which which is something that you really need if you're using um, large language models like GPT. Um, so I think it's just that there are so many things that you can do with Postgres apart from just storing uh, storing data. Um, but also uh, there are so many vendors who are uh, offering who, are, who have their own. Uh, Postgres offering. Yeah. So you have AWS, you have uh, Heroku, um, and you have countless others. You have uh, uh, backend services, you have distributed SQL. So it's not just this database that is uh, that is a standalone and works on bare metal, but you can have it as managed uh, service. You can have it as distributed service. And now you have it as a serverless database with Neon. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I was going to ask you this later, but I'm going to pull this question sooner in my mind because that's because you're a developer advocate for Neon Postgres service, right? Mm -hmm. Surely yes. that must make life hard because there are a lot of places you can get Postgres. How on earth do you distinguish mm -hmm. your, yourself among the many, many Postgres services? Yeah, it's interesting. I think um, I think that we positioned ourselves quite early as the uh, the database for developers. And I think like the Neon arch architecture also helps a lot um, to uh, just to uh, to differentiate ourselves from uh, all the other vendors. And I, I, I think what, what helps us to be uh, competitive in that space is that you can get a connection string very quickly and the onboarding process is quite easy. So I think that in, uh, I think for developers who are just looking for a database, who are just looking for a connection string, you can get started with Neon in in a few clicks. So that uh, definitely is something that that helps. But what makes us different? Uh, I think it's uh, our ecosystem of partners, and we partnered recently with uh, with Vercel. We partnered uh, also uh, with Hasura, with Replit, and uh, obviously that gives us access to that uh, developer community and. And it just makes the conversation um, easier. So we're not necessarily talking to DBAs who wants to who want to uh, you know manage their uh, their da database themselves. We want to be the database for developers, and I think that's what makes us stand out from the rest. Okay, that's. I mean, that feels like a bit of a marketing headline: the database for de developers. Yeah, you're. You're. I'm going to challenge you on that. So yeah. I, I do yeah. think you have great developer experience and i'm going to talk about that but like as a developer advocate i've done that job you're going to a conference postgres isn't the new and hip thing there are lots of people talking about postgres mm -hmm. what what do you ralph shebri get up on stage and talk about to excite people about postgres um yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question. So, what excites people about Postgres? Well, in my case, I, um, I think I think is the new thing the new things that you can do with the, with with Postgres. And I definitely 
forgot to mention branching in that uh, in that story. Oh, yeah, we're going to get into that too. I know we need. To, we've got a lot of topics to hit. Don't hit them all to, at once. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, part of it is, I think, because well, Postgres has a great documentation. People can go and ha- and have a look at it. So they don't necessarily want to know about Postgres when they come to Neon. So they want to know about all this, the other stuff that we do. So how the, how does the serverless architecture work? Uh, how does branching work? And branching is one of the things that we offer. So I think that uh, what makes them excited is just how can they be more productive using Postgres? And I think that all the whole developer workflow story is something that is quite new in the database world. We are accustomed to it with things like Git, where... Um, you can create a branch, you can merge it, and you can collaborate with uh, dozens of uh, of other developers. But we've never really had that in the database world. Every time we wanted to collaborate using databases, it's just, it's just a painful process, uh, to be honest. So um, I think what excites people the most when I talk about Neon, yeah, it's uh, developer workflows, is the fact that you can create a branch in a matter of seconds and you can prototype um, using the uh, a database that is hosted in the cloud that you can get a connection string uh, very quickly. So yeah, that's I, I I would say that's what I talk about mostly. And I okay. try to listen to uh, I, I try to listen to develop. I mean, you you've done that uh, for four years as you said. So you listen to developers, and every time they come up they come up with uh, with a set of problems, and you try to be helpful, etc. Yeah, and this is how you find things to talk about. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, so we need to get into this whole thing of branching, but we need to come. We need to get to the long way because this is the mm-hmm. thing that really caught my attention about Neon specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, you have this thing, and it's kind of a hip phrase that lots of databases are saying to separate storage from compute. Right. Yes. Yes. Uh, I've I've heard that in a few different places, including my um, Apache Kafka days, which are still close to my heart. Yeah. What does that mean in terms of Postgres? What are Neon doing? Why do we care about separating storage and compute? Well, um, we care about it because, uh, like, if you, if you want to offer a truly serverless uh, a serverless service, then um, you want to give developers the ability to uh, spin up instances on demand. Yeah. But the, the problem with that, as you may know, is when you're dealing with databases, you're dealing with stateful environments. And um, and those are p- quite hard to manage because, well, every time you want to kill an instance, you need to make sure that that data doesn't disappear. You need to move it around. And what happens if you have an application that needs that, uh, that, needs that data? So it turns out that uh, managing a stateful instance is actually quite a hard problem, and this is why separating storage and compute comes into play and makes things a little bit easier. So, in, in our case, when we talk about separating storage and compute, is uh, we've taken Postgres mm-hmm. uh, and we added a, a patch that is about a thousand line of, uh, lines of code. That and all that patch does is give Postgres the ability to talk to our storage engine that we built from scratch and we that we built for, uh, with, with Rust. So there are really two components to that. And and that separation uh, gives a lot of benefits. And w- one of them is that uh, since we don't have to deal with all the access to the file system, etc., then it allows uh, Neon to spin up a Postgres database within seconds as opposed to minutes. So you create, you go to... Neon, you create a project, 
and you have a connection string within three seconds. And how does that benefit, actually work? How does writing a new file system driver mean you can spin up instances quickly? Oh, uh, so well, you don't have to. Uh, you don't have to deal with all those uh, accesses to disk. So, uh, I, from what my understanding, Postgres that that helps um, boot up uh, the uh, Postgres instance quicker, as opposed to if you had to uh, to to to, uh, to boot the entire Postgres uh, uh, Postgres engine. Um, okay, and. Sorry, what was I? So I was talking. Yeah, I was talking about one of the benefits of of, uh, of separating storage and compute. So one of it is that you you spin up uh, Postgres database really quickly because you don't have to uh, to deal about, to deal with the data yet. And the second uh, is the the second advantage is that you can allocate resources uh, independently. So uh, you have that Postgres instance. If you need more RAM, more CPU, you just give it more RAM and CPU. If you wanna, if you wanna take it down, you just do it. And this is what allows for things like auto scaling, and we have also uh, scaling down to zero. So if your database is inactive for five minutes, then you just uh, shut it down. Uh, so that's regarding the the the, the uh, compute part. The storage part is something that we built from scratch. Um, that is um, is multi layered. And it's a, a distributed system on itself. So we have uh, a durability layer that we call uh, safekeepers. And basically that layer uh, makes sure that your data is always present. So if you insert uh, in, insert a row, that is always going to be there. Um, and you have what we call page servers that knows how to uh, that, how to reconstruct your data from any given point in time. Because in Neon, we don't... Um, we don't save just the data; we save the history of the database. So, the, okay, yeah, um, and that actually would allows for things like branching. Is because uh, the page server just knows how uh, to reconstruct the state of your database from any given point in time. So you would, uh, you're doing like a Git like thing where. Postgres tries to save some data and your file system layer intercepts that and says, I'm not going to do a destructive update. I'm going to keep it as a history of changes. Yes. And, so and you Postgres can do point does, in time. Type. Yeah, Postgres does that through uh, write ahead logs. And this is exactly what we, uh, yeah, what we save. So we, we save write ahead log records. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, um, and, and those are immutable files. And actually, actually the, the third part that I haven't spoken about is since those are immutable files, then we can offload everything to a cloud storage. And this is what we do. So we offload uh, cold data to S3. Um, and that uh, saves up some uh, some money also to our end user. Okay. This actually is reminding me a little bit like Kafka, where you make the write-ahead log basically more important in the architecture than it's previously been. Mm -hmm. It's not just for creating a backup copy. Or, or recovery, it's actually an active part of the idea of how this is going to work. Right, yes. Right. So this feeds into this thing you can offer of branching whole databases to share with other developers. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, um, well, since um, since you can do branching, we really, we really think, like, our philosophy is that if you can, uh, whenever you need to get branch, 
he'll probably need also a database branch. Um, <laughs> I can believe that actually. Yeah. Yeah, because like if you think of if you think of it from a developer's perspective, you 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 have production environment staging, and you have your development environment, and you have databases in all those environments, but you, you don't work by yourself. So you you, you work in teams, and uh, the the more people you have, the uh, the higher the chance of breaking something, uh, and especially at database level. So if you're all making changes better make them in branches that are isolated, that are independent. Um, all branches inherit from uh, inherit data and schema from their parent branch. So one of the advantages is that you can create features that are, that are actually using pro some production data. And I think in some cases that are um, features where you, you need uh, proper testing against production data in order to make sure that it works properly. Um, and, and, and then and then nowadays, what is interesting is that the staging environment is kind of dead too. Uh, people are using uh, more preview environments. So you have these cool companies like Vercel who, um, who's, who, who offers developers the ability just to create uh, preview environments for every time they create a PR. So if you, you create, you submit your code in GitHub, you create a pull request, then you have an automatic environment that, that that comes out of the box with it. And your stakeholders or your team members can just click a link and they have this production-like uh, environment. You can have a look at it and see that everything that happens. But that's great for front-end. But yeah. what happens with the database? Well, we we kind of, uh, we we created uh, an integration with Vercel that does mm -hmm. the, uh, that automatically. So with a few clicks, you can do that. And we also have our API and uh, GitHub Actions that also allow you to do that. So it makes total sense to have a database every time uh, you're, you're creating a branch in, in Git. Um, and this is how we go about it. Okay, so I, that, I can actually see that being really useful because I've definitely used it in front end and it's incredibly useful. Mm -hmm. So so you're saying you've got cheat branching, so I can do a cheat branch of the live data. You've got low compute costs if it's not being used so right. i so it doesn't cost me anything to have an extra database for every pull request um, until they're used um so you you can so every time you create a branch mm. well in in the storage in the storage engine you're you're just creating a pointer so you have some metadata, metadata there mm. and and you're create you're creating also another compute instance uh to have access to it you can also create a branch without having to compute, but you would you wouldn't you would use that like as some sort of backup if you need it. Um, but yeah, so um, and so you you can you can literally have tens of branches, uh, even more. You can have branch for every one of your team, and uh, and it's not gonna, and and all you're gonna be charged for is really the delta between the branches. And not necessarily like the entire. It's not because I have one gig of um, uh, of uh, of storage in my main database that I'm gonna have. But then I'm gonna replicate those every time I'm gonna create the new branch. Right. Could you also use this mechanism for like uh, <laughs> as a fallback, like when you do an upgrade in yeah. production? Could you yeah. say I'm gonna tag the database at this point in time, and yeah. oh dear, the, the upgrade went badly. I can roll back. 
Well, you, you can do even better. You have the ability of doing a t- time travel anytime because I said that the storage engine uh, stores all the wall records and knows uh, how to reconstruct data from any given point in time. So let's say one of your engineers somehow uh, decided to manually drop uh, or delete some data and they deleted <laughs> the wrong data in the database. It does happen, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you can just, uh, yeah, you can just easily roll back, create a branch from uh, from a, a past point uh, and, and just say, hey, I, I need to, to have this state of the database from T minus one, not, not T zero. And ju- it does it in, in a matter of seconds and and you get back uh, all the all the lost data, and then you just swap uh, uh, compute instances, and that's yeah. it. So the backup uh, a backup system as it is now uh, is is pretty good. We're still we're we're still adding more to it because we're getting feedback from uh, uh, hardcore Postgres users. Um, but uh, but yeah, but the story is quite simple for now. What kind of feedback are you getting? Is it like really deep technical or usability or what? Yeah, so I, I think. So I, I think like there are things that we're that we're uh, currently working on. So uh, our our developer workflow story is, uh, uh, needs a merge, and is something that we 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 were working on. But um, regarding Postgres, like we're adding things like sharding, uh, replicas, all those things are uh, are, are coming very soon. So uh, yeah, we we get those feedback uh, all, all the time, and uh, we're working on them uh, every day to to make sure that. Uh, we get in par with, 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 you know, with, with everything that Postgres offers. Mm. Okay. And because how much maintenance is that? You say it's like a thousand lines of code at the core of this. Does that yes. mean that your version of Postgres is very close to the latest? No, it is the latest. Okay. So we, yeah. Well, uh, well, we, we do that uh, for every version of Postgres. So we started with version f- uh, 14 mm. and then, uh, when when version fifteen came out, we were we were among the first ones to uh, to offer it to everybody because uh, all we need to do is just uh, to write that code in version fifteen, and 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 now you can do that, and it's going to be the same thing with sixteen. So um, every time a new version of Postgres is going to come out, uh, we're going to be behind by a week or so, maybe maybe yeah. less. Maybe we're going to uh, do it at the same time because yeah, we have um, Postgres hackers within within the team that are very very close to. Uh, the Postgres community and that contribute uh, all the time to Postgres. So, okay, um, yeah, we can do that. And they have a pretty good track record for doing like release candidates and stuff. So, presumably, you've got some warning. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. That actually sounds really handy. Um, so, let's talk about speaking of handy, if I'm going to use it, I have kicked the tires on Neon. And uh, I'm going to sound like this is a sponsored podcast now, but hand on heart, I haven't been paid to say this. You have a really, really good onboarding experience for a, like a lot of software as a service companies could go to Neon and learn a lot to steal for their own service. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you like it. Um, I really did. Yeah. It took me about three minutes from hearing about you to having a database table with data in that I was selecting out of. Amazing. Which is, I, I, I love what, hearing that. Uh, but I've worked with software as a service companies where that is the opposite of the experience, right? Ha, what's your secret source? What's your tip for getting good mm. developer experience? Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, 
I'm I'm not sure if we have a, a secret sauce. I think I think uh, we try to do what everybody does, which is listen to our users, or listen to developers, and and we want to get better. I think uh, I think that's what we try to do. Like if you if you've looked at uh, the Neon console in the past few months, I've, I've been around for less than nine months, and I can tell you that a lot of changes happened already. Uh, sometimes I have a look at the the, the UI and and I don't recognize it. <laughs> like things are added all the time. Things are changed because we listen to our, uh, to, to our community. Sometimes we get constructive feedback. Sometimes we get bad feedback and we try, uh, or negative feedback rather. And we, and, and we work with both. Um, and I think, uh, we also are in a unique position where we have partners that are come from the front end, uh, from the front end world partners like Vercel, Replit, they already offer, a really, really good developer experience, and we get inspired by by, by our partners to uh, to deliver as good of a UI as possible. And I'd say maybe like the the third thing would be that we have a passionate team, and culturally it, within the company, uh, like most of the the conversations start with, does this make it easier for developers, or does it make it harder? So if if it's harder for developers, then maybe you want to remove those frictions. Hmm. Um, but if it's easier, then maybe it's the way to go. So yeah, I think it's just uh, listen to our developers and ask ourselves the right questions and and try to uh, mimic the best. So I'm, I'm going to have to push you on this because it seems okay. like every company thinks they're doing that, but I think you're unusually successful at it. What, what's the what's the management like? What's the structure for getting changes in? I think maybe it starts also from the top. Like, as I said, culturally, it's like that. And it's important if if you have founders and if you have leadership team that, that think that this is something crucial. Um, because, yeah, well, we, we, we're, we're having this architecture, but we need to find a way to make it easy for developers also to use it. So I think uh, that, yeah, maybe it also comes from uh, the, the from the top all the way to the, the rest of the team. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I could see if if it's an actual priority for the management that really changes things rather than being a lip service priority, which does happen. <laughs> does it? Does it also relate back to this thing you were saying, where like there are a lot of Postgres service providers, so you must know that you have to differentiate yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that onboarding experience when you're in a difficult to differentiate market, that first half hour can make all that more difference. Um, yeah, I, I, there's actually, yeah, I just remembered that there's a really, really nice quote by, uh, by our CEO and it's just on, on, on his Twitter. Uh, I, I, yeah, I don't remember the quote itself, but basically it's like if, when you have a 10 X, um, uh, architectural advantage and here he's talking about being serverless and, uh, all the, the things that we spoke about, hmm. then the next thing you, you. Uh, yeah, you focus on his developer experience, and that's how you create the separation between yourself and uh, and, and the other companies. I, I don't quite remember the full quote, but it's an interesting one that you can find it uh, on Twitter, uh, Nikita Base. Uh, I'll yeah. uh, I'll hunt it down and stick it in the show notes so people can have the exact quote. But that I guess that does prove that right at the top, you're thinking about developer experience, absolutely, which yeah. is unusual in a lot of software as a service businesses. Okay, anyway. so. Give me a bit of your background. Where, do, where what brings you into a Postgres story? Um, yeah, I 
honestly, I I did I didn't necessarily uh, think of myself. Uh, I didn't think that I would ever be working uh, with the post risk community. It's quite new to me. Uh, it's something that I'm, I'm that I'm learning. Um, I worked as a, a as a developer advocate and an evangelist a long, long time ago. So now it's uh, uh, for for a bigger for bigger companies. I worked in NoSQL, um, but it's just I think it was just this. Uh, it was natural for me uh, to to work with Postgres because because the community is asking for it and people want it and people want to to learn more about it. So I felt like it was an exciting opportunity. Uh, to to be working with the Postgres community and uh, and it is so it's a great time to be uh, within the Postgres ecosystem. It is, yeah. It's it from my experience, it's a nice community and it's a great general purpose database. Right. But if you've worked in the NoSQL world, right, then you've seen a few different databases. What do you think <laughs> Postgres's place is in the world where everybody's trying to vie for the database that's customized to a specific task hmm. yeah i think i think it's important as a, a developer advocate also to understand that uh, there's no such thing as the best da- database right like there's no such thing as the best tool there's only like the best tool for your specific use case and for whatever you're doing so i think that for for some use cases that NoSQL is great for other use cases um, maybe you would go for SQL. We know that for most cases, SQL is probably the way to go. Um, so, so I think that it's important to understand like what 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 your goals are, what is it that you're trying to optimize for, and what's the best tool um, to achieve that. When I was working in NoSQL before, we had a very a performant um, a database. Um, and and we've always compared it to other NoSQL databases, and we would know that uh, there are use cases where uh, where maybe our database would would be the best, and maybe other there are other use cases where it would be just better to use MongoDB, or whatever. Um, so yeah, th- so I think it's important in the database world to understand why you're doing things. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, as ever, as ever in programming, <laughs> you've got to understand what your tool's good at. And you've got to, have, I think you've got to have a few different things in your toolbox these days. Like, I would say everyone should know one relational database if they can, if they're at that stage in their career, but not just a relational database. Um, you know, you, the more different ways you've got of solving a problem, the better off you are. Really. Yeah. And I think you come from, yeah, you come from that uh, Kafka world where I've seen a lot of uh, architectures where. You put Kafka in the center of everything, and then you have all these streams of data, and then you you have Postgres, you have Mongo, you have SolidDB, you have like all sort of different databases that are just communicating with each other. And I think this is what smart team is, smart teams do is that they understand the pros and cons of every architecture of every tool. And yeah, you need to you need to know a relational database, but not just a relational database. Like you need to understand the whole ecosystem as a whole and how things. Uh, interact with each other i think yeah well i can think of no better way to get started with a relational database (laughs) than to start with postgres and i'll give you that plug you've got a great way of starting with it so um yeah i i think maybe it's time to let people go and kick the tires on your service if they're so inclined 
yeah, um, uh, go for it. Uh, Neon.tech, uh, go have a look. And most importantly, if you have any feedback, uh, please reach out. Uh, I'm on Twitter. We are on Twitter. We're pretty active. I'm Rove Devrel. Uh, there's the Neon account. And we would love to hear from you. We're we're still young. We're uh, we're, we're learning, and we we want to offer a, a great service that can help uh, developers out there. And it sounds like there's a decent chance your feedback will actually be acted on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's uh, I, 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 that's all we hope for. Yeah. Ralph, thanks very much for talking to us. Uh, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me again. Thanks, Ralph. And I'll say it one more time. This hasn't been sponsored by Neon. I was just really impressed by their service. So if you need a Postgres instance in the cloud, give them a try. Perhaps more generally, if you're working on a service aimed at developers and you want to see an example of really good onboarding, I would check them out for ideas to steal. Now, we may not be sponsored by Neon or by anyone else at the moment, but one day we will be. I don't want you thinking I've suddenly sold out. So this space is intentionally left blank for some rampant capitalism. More important than that is the currency of feedback. So if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a like or a rating or share it with a friend. Speaking of friends, if there's someone out there you think I should be talking to, you'll find my contact details in the show notes. And with all that said, until next time, I've been your host, Chris Jenkins. This has been Developer Voices with Ralph Shepherd. Thanks for listening.